Micah, people always ask me what team they should bet on. Mm-hmm. But where you're betting is just as important. That's why I tell people to go to mybookie.ag. They have live in-game betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and a mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. Plus, if you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Just visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code RINGERFC to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Pay me! (laughs) Ryan, let me tell you about this amazing hotel booking app, Hotel Tonight. Go for it. Hotel Tonight is an app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Hello, and welcome to Ringer FC. Wow! I'm Ryan O'Hanlon. I'm an editor at The Ringer, and I'm joined by... Micah Peters. I am a staff writer at The Ringer. And Micah was cleated in the face a week ago, and now he's back in the same seat wearing a helmet, ready wearing, to go. Wearing a, wearing a padded helmet and, uh, you know, with a bandage wrapped around my head like Terry Butcher. <laughs> this week, we're, uh, we're without our special one, Chris Ryan. Um, he's on sabbatical. Uh, he's he went to find himself in Europe. Yeah, in Portugal. If you're looking for him, <laughs> um, he's always been holding us back, though. So I think we're ready to ready to both flourish without him here. Uh, this week we're going to start with some news, get into some overreactions from the Premier League weekend. Then we'll bring in our favorite troll, Donnie Kwok, for zonal question marks. And then we have an interview with. Howler Magazine Editor-in-Chief George Qureshi um, to end the episode. So let's start with some news. First up, Usman Dembele. It's <sighs> all over before it began, Micah. So tragic. He won't play a new game until the new year. Um, if the initial reports were to be believed, what was it, a high hamstring? No, ruptured tendon. Yes, ruptured tendon, which sounds terrible. Um, apparently there was an issue when Dembele was warming up this weekend, this past weekend, and he decided to play through it. He felt a twinge, decided to play through it, and what was it? Like not too far into the game, I want to yeah. say it was like maybe what seventeen minutes gone. Yeah, something like that. Uh, he had to come out with a injury and a hamstring injury, and he'll likely be out until the new year, as I said before, which yeah. is just tragic. The, the thing about this is one we completely jinxed them by talking about how they were basically the greatest team of all time last week. And two, Barca's manager, Ernesto Valverde, weirdly like blamed this on experience? Dembele's inexperience, which I didn't understand. He, he was saying that a more experienced player might have realized there was tightness in his body and he wouldn't have tried to run as hard. Well, Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing is that if you do if you feel that tweak and you're maybe someone maybe even just like 3 or 4 years his senior Dembele is what 20 right yeah. you know that that things aren't right and maybe you ask to sit mm-hmm. maybe you don't yeah uh but i mean like at the same time it just feels like a really weird thing to bring up in a in a post-match interview where everybody can hear it instead of bringing that up specifically with Dembele himself. Yeah, I don't know what what purpose that serves. Um, Barca didn't really play that well over the weekend. They had to be rescued by a late Paulinho goal, which is just a sentence. If you read it to me three months ago, I would have started crying. Um, And now their big issue is that they didn't have much depth, and now... You know, it's the likes of Gerard Delafeu, Alex Vidal, Dennis Suarez, Andre Gomes, who are going to have to pick up the slack, which Delefeu is another just scary thought. Hanging out there on the wing, trying to do eight step overs while the other two players that are way better than him are just sitting there open. Yeah, I, I I believe one 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 of these days he's going to like score an incredible goal, and it's it still won't make up for the four hundred other times he lost the ball <laughs> before that. Um, also around Europe, might be the end of Harry Redknapp. 
who this player this summer as Birmingham manager brought in 14 new players and then lasted for 13 games with Birmingham. Uh, they're bottom of the table. They sacked Redknapp over the weekend. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, he came in after uh, Gianfranco Zola brought uh, Birmingham City really right up to the hilt as of this relegation battle last season. Uh, Redknapp came in like last May. Uh, managed to win two of their last three, and they gave him a one-year contract. And completely overhauls the team and after getting beat 3-1 at Preston North End this weekend with all the Preston fans chanting sacked in the morning <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually they you know kind of overestimated by about 12 hours yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean la- last week we we kind of called out Crystal Palace for their just lack of co- cohesion and lack of a long-term plan this is like 17 times worse than that. You know, you bring in a manager. Harry Redknapp's known as a wheeler and dealer, just always signing new players. He overhauls the team, and then you get rid of them, and now someone else has to deal with this players. Uh, Redknapp said that he thinks there's, quote, every chance, every chance this will be his last job as a manager, which means that he'll be appointed as emergency, emergency England manager a month, month before the World Cup. That, that's my <laughs> prediction. I say that's a fair prediction. Um... um and in France this weekend, the first cracks in the end of PSG, <laughs> how I'm calling it. Uh, Edson Cavani and Neymar hate each other now. Yes. Um, Back that up with some facts. <laughs> over the weekend in a 2-0 win over Lyon, there were two instances in which Neymar and Cavani fought over set pieces. The first was a free kick, one just outside of the box, uh, where... A, a detail off left out of all write-ups of this is the fact that Neymar looked Cavani off right mm-hmm. beforehand, yeah. <laughs> right before he got fouled outside of the box. Um, and Danny Av- Danny Alves comes over and rests the ball away from Cavani. Looked really angry, like too. really, really looking perturbed that Cavani was trying to take the free kick for himself. Gave it to Neymar. Neymar got it picked out of the corner by the keeper. Did not score. Yep. Um, and then after. Neymar won the penalty as well, right? Um, Believe so. And wanted to take the penalty kick, as is, you know, his right yeah. after winning the penalty and being Neymar, one of the best four players in the world. And Cavani was just like, hey, I'm the senior forward here. Back off. I'm taking this PK. Yeah. And Cavani has better better penalty stats, too. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Bring him <laughs> And uh, then had some instant karma and saw the, the PK saved mm-hmm. um immediately after the game uh get french football reported that cavani had packed his bag and decamped the park de france within 20 minutes of the full-time whistle didn't talk to reporters didn't talk to reporters <laughs> and uh i think unai emery is seeming to say like you know just sort this out amongst yourselves which or i mean like or make a decision or i will make one for you yeah he he didn't he didn't do that much to like tone this down, really, in my opinion. But then sort of the most important thing happened, which is that Neymar supposedly unfollowed Cavani on Instagram. First great team <laughs> of the digital era, PSG. PSG is going to be fine. They beat Lyon 2-0. They needed two own goals. But, uh, yeah, this is some uh, drama you don't want to see this early <laughs> in the season when you're already running the league at this point. Yeah, but at the same time, you put all, those, all of those egos in the same solar system. I mean... They were. They would be like. They were. They were going to be. There. This is a mixed metaphor, but there were bound to be clashes. Yeah, I, you could even say that if there weren't any clashes, something was probably wrong. Yeah. Um. It, it's. It's probably good that Cavani is kind of like, I know your name are, but like, fuck that. I've <laughs> scored like five hundred goals here. I'm the one who takes the PKs. Um. So let's get into the Premier League. Talk about some massive overreactions as we do every week. The first one. Sergio Aguero is the best Argentine attacker in the entire world. <laughs> Thoughts? Thoughts? Yes. Uh, well, uh, hat trick on Saturday against Watford. Mm-hmm. Five goals, two assists in four games. And seeming to have completely bought into whatever Guardiola is selling. Yeah. Um, striked up a very good partnership with Gabriel Jesus up mm-hmm. front. 
uh, willing to do the extra bit of work that, that Guardiola was wanting from him last season, uh, which basically the, the whole thing was that if you look like back last season, you have Diego Costa, who Antonio Conte was saying, like, we need you to press higher. We need you mm-hmm. to try to win the ball back. Uh, Roberto Firmino, even though he didn't score as many goals last season, was still in the team because Jurgen Klopp liked the fact that he would press yep. after after the team lost the mm-hmm. ball. Guardiola wanted the same for uh, for Aguero, but you know he was out of the first team like in November of last year because he wouldn't do that extra bit of work right after losing the ball. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, well, <laughs> and, yeah. Now, over the weekend, Guardiola called him a legend. Quote a legend, which uh, a legend. If you were planning on getting rid of a guy, you would not uh, use that kind of language. Um, and Aguero, he is a legend. He's the highest scoring non-European player in Premier League history. He's gonna break the Man City record, I think, with one or two more goals. Um, and I think the thing about Sunday, it's like you see, like Aguero, he's a little fire hydrant, basically. <laughs> that, that's his body type. But he, he can do everything. The first goal, just a really good bent header back to the near post. Second goal, complete poacher's finish. A ball gets crossed in. There's a scramble, and he taps it in. Third goal, I mean, he just he gets the ball like 40 yards from goal, dribbles through five Watford players, chips the keeper, and puts like a reverse spin on the ball, which I just still can't understand watching it back. And it spins in at the far post. And then he also had a beautiful reverse pass uh, assist um, in that game. And he, he just... I don't, I don't know if we talk about how good Sergio Aguero is. Um, I think mean, he's just kind of like a constant. There's yeah. like or the force of nature. Does he have the, the highest uh, or the best uh, minutes to goal ratio in Premier League history? I think he does. And it's just kind of like if you're, that production's always there, you're going to take it for granted. Yeah. But uh, best Argentine attacker in the world. <laughs> Eric Lamella is better. <laughs> Eric Lamella is better. <laughs> so much better. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think Man City, in my opinion, they're probably the, they look like the best team in the league right now. Unfortunately. Um, just running Liverpool off the field last week, running Rot- Watford off the field this week. And Watford, pretty good. They were in the top four and undefeated <laughs> coming into this week. Um, and they're not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they had, had three successive clean sheets before this game and, they just happened to meet Man City, who'd scored 15 goals in their last three games. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I, I think, you know, it, do, it does look like the two Manchester teams are already kind of running away with the league. It's a little too early to say that. But the one team who might ch- trace Manchester United and Manchester City down, though, is Newcastle United. <laughs> so the second... Massive overreaction of the week is that Newcastle United are going to be Champions League semifinalists in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, like... I not, guess 2019 it would be, right? Because knockout stage... Exactly, okay. knockout stages wow. would be in, you know, next spring. Yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, you know, lost their first two, and now they're... They had three wins and two draws, um, and they're in fourth. Three uh, wins and two losses. Three wins and two losses, excuse me. Now they're in fourth. Um, and Rafa Benitez just managing the entire affair from his deathbed. Yep. Everything's kind of done at 180 since LaSalle started the season on the bench yep. <laughs> as their as their captain mm-hmm. and is now scoring winning goals against Stokes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of we're embarrassed in the first game against Tottenham. Well, they weren't really embarrassed. It was John Joe Shelby getting red carded, uh, which is embarrassing. But I guess that's just—he's just a constant I mean, like, you embarrassment. Know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword with John Joe Shelby. Um, and their second game, they kind of got done in by the Huddersfield magic. Uh, they had a bunch of chances, but it just didn't come off. And now they've won three in a row, and they're <laughs> in fourth place. And all of their—you know—when a, a team that was in the championship last year is this high up the table, you kind of typically think, oh, this is lucky and unsustainable. But all of their, you know, all of their stats kind of back it up. They're fifth in expected goals scored, sixth in expected goals allowed. Their expected goals differential 
is better than Chelsea's. So I think Benitez has done a, a pretty good job so far with this team. It's not, it's a real like ragtag bunch of dudes. Um, I mean, like they looked, the, the the first goal they scored looked smoother than anything United did against, the, <laughs> did against Stoke. Uh, what was it? Uh, center midfielder sprays the ball outside to Richie. Richie curls into the back post yeah. and... Christian Atsu just runs onto it, bangs it in at the, at the far post. Matt Ritchie's become like Ryan Giggs all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like where do you think that they could realistically finish? I mean, this might sound crazy, but like seventh? <laughs> <laughs> you think that Newcastle can finish seventh? I mean, it's what it's. We don't. There's no clear seventh best team, I think, in my opinion, like we maybe thought there was, um, and we'll get into it in a little bit. Um, and I just think Benitez is, he's just, he's a really good manager. Um, he's gonna, he's gonna raise your ceiling a lot, um, or raise your floor a lot. I don't know. Don't know how much he's going to raise, raise the ceiling, but it's like their, their numbers all back it up. And I mean, I guess, I guess the biggest thing you'd say is one, do they have the depth, especially after Benitez has basically been complaining, he even complained after the game that he didn't sign the players he wanted in the off season, which is a really weird um, complaint motivational to, tactic to, to lodge <laughs> after a two on win. Um, just essentially telling your players that they're like not good enough, <laughs> but they're winning because of him. Um, but they, they've only played Tottenham among the top six. But you know, coming up, their schedule is it, it's not that bad. Um, so it's I think them finishing seventh would be more about sort of the drop offs of. Southampton and some other teams, uh, but like their numbers really back it up, and I, I, don't, I don't see anyone else who's really has a confident shout for that. Um, because in the third overreaction, Everton are going to get relegated. <laughs> Do you agree, Micah? <laughs> okay, I don't. Uh, Everton getting relegated is uh, is a little much, but. Bottom three right now. They are they are bottom three, <laughs> and relying heavily on Wayne Rooney to do all of the work. Yeah. <laughs> um, they played three number tens against uh, Manchester United this past weekend. It was very strange, but yep. managed to the four zero scoreline doesn't really tell the truth about the way the game went. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, like United were frustrated and frustrating for. Mm-hmm. The Lions share the game, and then there was just like a weird last ten minutes when they just let in three more goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of been the story of United season. I think a little bit. It's like they just wear you down, and then they just pound in the goals right at the end. Um, but but you're right. I, I think this gets back to what you're saying about like Wayne Rooney has actually been. He played kind of well, I thought, against Manchester United. He's done. He like, did, and he was unlucky not to score. Actually, but, it was his own fault. Um, yeah. And also, De Gea is not really one for making. He's unfair. Yeah, um, he ruined Rooney's return to Old Trafford. <laughs> but that—that's—that's that's the issue here. That's what—that's what we're getting at. You—you you can't build your team around, around Wayne Rooney right now. Like he—he's got so many miles on his legs. He's thirty-one. It's just and. He can't last an entire game, and you're seeing it. But it's that's the core of the issue here is that this is just like it just doesn't feel like this team just they don't have many gears, right? They don't have many gears, and I mean their their big marquee signing was Gilfie Sigurdsson, and I mean like that's not him banging in one of every four free kicks is not really going to get you any closer to being part of the big six. Yeah, and you you just know coming into this game, it's Man U has all this firepower on the bench. Martial is essentially just like a serial killer, basically, that comes on at the end of the game <laughs> and just automatically scores. And Lukaku is super fit and is just running at you for 90 minutes. And Everton just don't have the player, like the kind of horses to keep up with that. And it's just, I think... You know, the last three games are what? Zero, two zero loss to Chelsea, three zero loss to Tottenham, four zero to United. And it's the, f- as Jose Mourinho said before the game, a team that spends as much money as Everton should, quote, at least be making the top four. I just really, really <laughs> just love a good cell phone. Just, 
Because where did United finish last season? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so I think, I think it's, you know, I think that going back to that, it's Everton have been very bad this season and they're in the bottom three. Their stats are all really bad. Worst goal differential in the league. Only Swansea takes fewer shots. Expected goals says they're really bad. But they've played a really hard schedule. They've played City, Tottenham, Chelsea, and Man U already. So I think there's two things here. There's no way in hell this team is challenging for the top four. That was an insane thought before the season. Um, and we're, we've seen it by them just getting smoked by those All three teams. The t- <laughs> and they basically hung on against Manchester City despite being a man up for 70 minutes. Um, but... That's also makes Everton's numbers look worse, and it that's just why they're in such a hole. Their next four games, Bournemouth, Burnley, Brighton, and Arsenal. So that's just four four easy victories right there. <laughs> and it bounce them right back up the table. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and then we will be joined by Donnie Kwok for some zonal question marks. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. With Casper, there's free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Give $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash FC and using offer code FC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. We are now joined by, I don't know what your official title on this podcast is anymore, Curmudgeon. Donnie. <laughs> Curmudgeon Donnie Resident Clark. Curmudgeon Donnie yeah. Clark. What's up, Donnie? Hey, guys. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, so... Got a couple questions for you, Donnie, uh, yep. for all of us. First one, what is your favorite moment from P- Phil Neville and Park Ji Sung's playing career together? Hmm, that would be a really tough one to come up with since they never played together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after Tottenham's, uh, you know, really frustrating draw with Swansea, in which Song Heung-min basically missed over the crossbar mm-hmm. by five yards from every conceivable direction. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Phil Neville, uh, the less heated of the Neville brothers, uh, <laughs> made a really strange comment about uh, about Song Hyun Min's resilience. I played with Park Ji Sung at Manchester United, and they have similar qualities. Their attitude is fantastic. They give energy to their team. First Which, issue, as Donnie said, <laughs> they briefly for like a week crossed over in training camp before uh, Phil Neville got went to Everton for Manchester United. So they actually barely ever played together, and this guy is making it sound like they... Thick as thieves. But that's not the real issue here. The real issue here yes. is... I mean, there's you an alternative. To it, Donnie. There's the alternative fact part, which you mentioned. Uh, but overall, I think the problem with it is it's just a lazy comparison. I mean, we see it in American sports punditry all the time where uh, people, I mean, the only thing that Park and Sonny really have in common is that they're both from South Korea. Uh, I wrote about Sonny last year, and part of the thesis of the article was how Sonny is kind of a new breed of Korean footballer. Uh, whereas Park was very industrious and sort of unselfish and a, a loyal soldier. Sonny is, you know, imagine Park wrestling the ball out of Wayne Rooney's hands to take a penalty. It would never happen the way yeah. Sonny did with Lamella last year. And, you know, Park was a loyal soldier for United for so many years. And Sonny, after one year at Spurs, wanted to leave. So he, he's a totally different guy. I mean, in Phil's defense... You know, he does know about Sonny. Apparently, he scouted him when he was an assistant at Valencia. So I don't think it was out of total ignorance, but it's just lazy punditry. Um, you know, it's like this. You see the same thing here in American sports where, you know, Keith Van Horn has to be Larry Bird. You know, it's like, sorry for that reference, but it's in your contract. <laughs> uh, yeah, or like how every 
pacey black Frenchman is Thierry Henry. Yeah. Right. Or, or every, every holding French midfielder is Patty Vieira. Yeah. 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 It's the same thing in the NFL. You know, it's any any black quarterback is essentially a mobile quarterback. And you talk about his running ability and not his passing ability. Um, and it's you're right. It's just like San is like an extremely athletic and dangerous and exciting goal scoring winger and occasional striker. And Park is just that's just not what he was at all. He I mean, was like he was a utility player. utility player who like provided a lot of defensive effort, basically. Yeah, and right. It, to, to you know to to watch Son and be like his attitude is fantastic is what you take away from watching him. It's just like what what, what are you doing? What are you watching? <laughs> is the question. It's just it, it's super lazy and it's. We can all that it just you just need to be better, um, especially yeah. when you're getting paid to do something like this. Um, yeah. boo on you, Phil Neville, exactly. Second z- zonal question, Donnie. I, I can't believe I'm gonna actually say this out loud, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Is Arsenal better without Mesut Ozil? Ah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they're not, even as a Mesut hater, they're not, but. I think this weekend against Chelsea proved that, you know, we have the Ewing theory. That now we have the Ozil theory because I think without him in the lineup uh, and, and tactics the way that they were, Arsenal actually played a better match than they had. Obviously, against Anfield, it wasn't too hard to beat that performance. But, you know, having not having Ozil kind of, you know, I mean, of course, they didn't score. So, I mean, that's first and foremost. So if Ozil was on the pitch, possibly they could have scored. But defensively, they were more compact. And with Owobi, I guess, taking Ozil's role, you know, the high press with him and Welbeck was working in a way that it never could with Ozil. And it actually made the Ramsey-Jaka pivot look like it could work because for all of Ramsey's positional, you know, miscues or, or kind of drifting everywhere on the pitch, Awobi and Welbeck kind of held him down. And, you know, I don't think they're not a better team without Ozil. Definitely not. But I think we're entering a future here, obviously, with his contract still unsure. Uh, we're look, imagining a life without him. And even when he's healthy, I think it's a good option now for Arson to keep him out of the starting 11. I mean, speaking of Park Ji-sung, you know, it's been mentioned that in big matches, big away matches or, or Champions League matches, Sir Alex used Pak Ji-sung and, and Darren Fletcher and left guys like Giggs or Berbatov or whomever on the bench. So I think in a similar way, you know, Ozil's been, as we mentioned before, written in pen in the starting 11. Maybe he doesn't need to be there when they're at Anfield or Stamford Bridge or Old Trafford, etc. Yeah, I mean, like he doesn't offer as much on the other side of the... Like you need... You need Awobi. Like, Awobi is going to misplace a lot of the passes that Ozil makes, can do in his sleep, but he's not going to... 91% on on Sunday, though. Yeah, okay. All right. But what I'm saying (laughs) is that Awobi is going to, like you were saying before, uh, do the the extra four or five seconds of work that Ozil isn't going to. And I think that without... I think I agree with you in that with him out of the team, it's easier... Arsenal is better at frustrating the big teams. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, it's just a, remember, I forget what, it was, I think, 2015, the Arsenal game against Man City, where they, like, played a very defensive style, and this was the introduction of Coquelin, um, which I'm sure Donnie just passed out for fear (laughs) based on hearing that name. But it it kind of reminds me of that a little bit, because it's like, this was a very un-Arsenal game because it was essentially Arsenal had like one really good chance, Chelsea had one really good chance, and otherwise they both just kicked each other all over the field. Um, so if that's what you want to achieve, I think I that— I think Arsenal had, to be fair, like a few good chances. Sorry to interrupt. That's did did Was that you who ran onto the field uh, when Mustafi <laughs> scored? <laughs> um, I, I think it's, you know, we don't, we don't need to get— into all of the institutional issues at Arsenal, but I think it's it's a just they're in a weird situation that they created for themselves where you better like learn how to play without Sanchez and Ozil because they're not going to be there um, in a year. But at the same time, I think that you know when you have those two guys, I think you 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 really want to try to figure out a way to make it work with them on the field. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, again, 
I think it's, you know, play Ozil against Bournemouth and, you know, leave him out against Chelsea, City, etc. Um, speaking of teams like Bournemouth, um, <laughs> what we'll ask Micah this one. What was the most frustrating draw against a lower tier team this weekend? Mm. I'm going to go with Spurs. Uh, just a blustering performance at Swansea City. Another uh, victory for Wembley. (laughs) Another victory for (laughs) Wembley over the weekend uh, where they drew 0-0 with with Swansea. And again, like I was saying before, like Sonny, as Donnie calls him, was just (laughs) skying over the crossbar, firing wide, but threatening always. Um, And they just couldn't get that one goal to push them over and get those extra two points. Yeah, I think... As a Liverpool fan, I'm obliged to say that the Liverpool game was more frustrating um, because emotionally it frustrated me more than the Tottenham game. But I I think you're probably right. Um, You know, Tottenham had a couple really good chances. The one that Harry Kane uh, hit the crossbar with, um, especially. And, you know, Swansea just didn't create anything. They had no chances that game. Uh, But, you know... It wasn't like a. It wasn't like Tottenham was also battering Swansea's goal and just creating incredible chances here and there or all over the place. Um, Twenty six shots to four. The Liverpool game. Liverpool tied Burnley one one. Liverpool had thirty five shots. Uh, gave up four or gave up five. I think with Tottenham, it's in a game like this last year. The Wembley factor. I still. It's. I'm not willing to say that that is anything because they literally just beat Borussia Dortmund 3-1 a couple days before. Yeah. But, like, last year, these are the games where Tottenham would just totally steamroll the team. Um, And this year it was... They did enough to win, but it wasn't, like, just completely out of the question that they should have won, I think. Yeah. Maybe it's the interest music. You ever notice that they're playing, like, the, the theme... From the Phantom Menace, where like Quaganjin dies, <laughs> maybe that's it. What do you think about that, Donnie? I have no idea about Tottenham. Is that you're talking about Tottenham's entrance music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea, but I did see that they had 75 percent possession, which is hilarious. It's like when I play pe- people in FIFA. It's crazy. <laughs> is and that you, you? Are you saying that you lose often because you're trying to play too pretty? <laughs> Sounds yeah. like an Arsenal problem. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to play. We're gonna have to play very soon. <laughs> You mean you're going to have to lose to me fairly soon. <laughs> Got it. It's a date. Fourth and final zonal question mark. Let's direct this one to Donnie. Is the concept of two-footedness overrated in 2017? That's a great question. And I, Thank well, you. first of all, this whole, con- <laughs> this, this whole convo came about because of Valencia's cracking volley uh, against Everton. And Valencia, Antonio Valencia, the right back, for United, as most people, or as people know. The Terminator. Yeah. Raheem Sterling's (laughs) best friend. As people may know, is probably one of the most... Actually, if you Google most one-footed players in the Premier League, his name will inevitably come up because you never see him touch the ball with his left foot. Uh, Of course, over the weekend, he crushed the ball with his right foot, as he's wont to do. And so that got me thinking about one-footed players versus two-footed players. And I'm kind of like a two-footed... Fetishist? Is that the way to say it? Definitely. Yes. Uh, you are the yes. Rex Ryan of the. <laughs> you, have the Ryan of, of, <laughs> you have a tattoo European of Valencia's side. right foot on your bicep. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Zizu's feet, Michael. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, you excuse know, me. I, I tend to, when I watch a match, I always notice. I mean, it, it actually struck me recently. We were, you guys talked about it over the international break that Isco had two goals uh, for Spain against Italy. And each one was, one was a free kick and one was a long distance shot. And he kicked each one, one with his left foot and one with his right foot. And so things like that I noticed. And obviously through the years, there's Zizou, we mentioned, OG Ronaldo, Maldini. And currently everyone talks about Santi Cazorla, Wesley Snyder, people like that. I think it's like a real skill, obviously, to be ambidextrous, to have ambidexterity with your feet. And it obviously allows you as a player to get out of situations, to go in either direction, to fool defenders because you don't always have to do the Robin and cut in. I mean, even though Robin is rarely stopped when he makes that move, it just, it just opens up other dimensions. And when you think in like a basketball 
analogy, people who can only go in one direction are easy to defend. So I, I ask you two as former players of a high level, did you, were you, are you guys two-footed, one? And two, how important is that uh, to stand out on the field or to be good? Well, I'm not going to say that I don't favor my left foot, but <laughs> I also was yelled at from a very young age <laughs> to be uh, like to be able to play with both feet because for that exact reason, um, being able to get out of, you can get out of situations more easily if you can use both feet or, you know, what if you want to turn and play a driven ball across the field or, you know, like there's, there's just any, like you don't want to close that entire, like half of the amount of possibilities that you have when you're on the ball off. Yeah. I think, you know, in any sport, the fewer tendencies you have, the harder you are to defend, right? Because right. then there's nothing that a defense can pick up on. And, you know, just a simple example, you're at the top of the box as a defender in front of you, you get a little space on your left, and you're a lefty, you fake a shot, the defender has to respect it, and if you can flip it back to your right foot and just still rip one from the top of the box with your right foot, then that's that's just a situation that a guy who just is left foot dominant and can't really do much with his right foot, he just can't do that. But I think, I don't know if I think the concept is overrated. I just think that it's like, there's only like so much time you have as a player to develop various skills, right? So like a guy like Aryan Robin, you watch these tapes of Bayern training and it's just like, it's him doing the same thing with his left foot all the time, getting the ball in the wing, cutting it, and just ripping a shot into the far post. And he's training that all the time. And he right. could be, like, training to improve his right foot a little bit. But I think he's probably better off by just having this incredible, unstoppable move where he takes it to his yeah. left foot, although he did this weekend score with his right foot. A nice little <laughs> chip. Uh, uh, right. It would be like David Beckham practicing corners with his left foot like what's the point right I mean, yeah it's, or yeah. you know like you don't really want Giannis to learn how to shoot because then you're not going to get euro steps from the three-point line yeah. like <laughs> it's uh i mean like you I know guess, if you yeah. have if you like if you had that skill like Aaron robin it's like it's impossible to stop because he does it all of the time yeah but i mean like if you're talking about training from a young age like, you know, Tabula Rasa taking one player like in U6 and training them up, I would teach them to use both feet. Right. I think people are just kind of fans sometimes or a little perplexed that you can make it to the top of your sport or, you know, the top top leagues in Europe and only really have one, you know, only be, be able to use your stronger foot. Yeah, but I think, you know, if, even if you look at the stats um, of like goal scorers, it's like every top goal scorer in the league favors one foot very heavily over the other. It's wrong. true. Um, it's true. And I found Lukaku is actually like the the most evenly uh, equated one um, in the Premier League. Right. And uh, unscientifically, it seems like most one-footed players are actually left-footed. Or, you know, maybe they stand out more because they're left-footed because they're in a minority. But all right, I'm going to give you guys a trivia question before I leave. Let's hear it. Okay, ready? Uh, I don't know. I didn't verify this, so hopefully this is <laughs> an, an actual fact. But of the top – you guys are never going to get it right. I'm telling you right now. But of the top 50 goal scorers in Premier League history, only three have scored more than a quarter of their goals with their quote-unquote weaker foot. Who leads the way? Um, wow. Um, so – so you get the question, right? Only three players have scored more than a quarter of their goals of the top 50 goal scorers with their off foot. And the guy that, I'll give you a hint, the guy that's in first place isn't in the Premier League right now. But he's still playing. In English football. Oh, wow. That is tough. Um, I was just going to say Henri would be one of my guesses. <laughs> uh, All right, Michael, you got a guess? Shoot. No. Wait. Like Kevin Nolan or something. Yeah, I would like <laughs> Kevin Nolan. <laughs> it, it, it is Gabby Agbon Lahore. Gabby Agbon Lahore? The fact Lahore. that he's even top 50 is more shocking is... to me than he that he used both feet. That's insane. This guy's played like 300 games in the Premier League. So, but That's yeah, fascinating. He, it, but it, it kind of talks at what we're saying, right? Like if Agbon Lahore is that guy, then what does it even mean to be 
two footed. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is overrated then. Exactly. <laughs> we, we found the answer. All right. Thanks, Donnie. Uh, we thanks, will thanks, uh, talk to you again next week. All right. Later. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be joined by George Qureshi from Heller Magazine. You want to look good in your underwear and feel comfortable, right? But that perfect balance is hard to find. Well made from a sustainably sourced, naturally soft fabric that is three times softer than cotton, MeUndies will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will own. For the fellas, MeUndies diamond seam pouch cradles your jewels and gives your stuff the support it needs without feeling too tight. Meanwhile, ladies will love the soft, eco-friendly fabric. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And right now, MeUndies has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get 20% off your first pair plus free shipping. And don't forget about that 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love your first pair, you get a full refund. Simple. This is a no-brainer. 20% off, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee. What are you waiting for? Just go to MeUndies.com FC to get 20% off free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee on the best, softest underwear you'll ever own. That's MeUndies.com FC. This is a limited time offer, so what are you waiting for? Again, this is crazy that I have to keep saying this. Start wearing the best underwear of your life. It changed my life. It's time to let MeUndies change yours. Go to MeUndies.com FC right now. Diving pouch! <laughs> We're back. Donnie is gone, but Mike is still here, and we're joined by a guest. Uh, <laughs> Don't George- sound so disappointed. But still <laughs> I'm, here. I'm really excited that Donnie's gone. Um, <laughs> and replaced with George Qureshi, the editor in chief of Howler Magazine. What's up, George? Hey, guys. Uh, you know, not much, just trying to sell some magazines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll use that as a smooth segue. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, little bit about Howler? Howler, well, Ryan, you've written for Howler, so I have. you know I'm we, compromised. We, I have to be quiet for the rest of the so interview. It, so it's not, so it's not that good. Um, <laughs> uh, Howler is a, it's a quarterly magazine that comes out a little less than quarterly every four or five months. Um, but we started it in 2012. October will be our fifth anniversary, and it's a, you know, it's a large format um, magazine with a lot of original illustration, photography, um, investigative reporting, essays, humor. It's, uh, it's funnier than that, than it, than I made it sound. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got a big, uh, picture of the FIFA Nader on the cover. It's this big, uh, big monster eating a soccer ball with, uh, fire shooting out of its eyeballs that we've named the FIFA Nader for this issue. So <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're still alive as a print magazine, which is, um, maybe all you need to know. Yeah, that's extremely impressive. And I'm, as I said, I'm compromised, but Howler's great. It's a beautiful just a beautiful thing to have on your coffee table. And uh, it's just a lot of great writing, insight, illustrations. Um, You're beautiful for saying that. Thank you. <laughs> so everyone should go check it out. Um, I particularly remember reading one long form thing about uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic last season that was in the Howard magazine. And the illustration on it was probably something that I would like framed and hung in my bedroom, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there was, they ran a, uh, you guys ran an excerpt from Zlatan's book, so he was listed as a contributing writer, and it was an issue that I wrote in. So it was Zlatan, and then Ryan O'Hanlon. That was, yeah, that was got, the highlight of my life. Bi- you shared a bottle <laughs> with Zlatan. <laughs> we, we've got Diego Maradona's uh, going to be in the next issue, so Amazing. I get to say that he's written for Howler, which is totally a lie, but um, <laughs> but it's, like technically true. So, <laughs> um, so we want to we want to talk about one of the stories um, you guys just ran, but before we do that more important question. What did you do for Christian Pulisic's birthday yesterday, George? How'd you celebrate? I lit some candles. I uh, <laughs> drew a bath. Um, <laughs> did you put on some Sade? <sighs> How did you know? God, we, you know what? We got to get together next time. It's so, it's so lonely doing it by yourself. And my uh, wife is like, what are you doing? And, and yeah, no, I mean, I'm coming out to LA next time. Yeah, uh, it'll be uh, the big two zero for him. So none of us wow. can be alone for that. He's growing up so fast. <laughs> Sad. Um, now that we've you know gone over our plans for Christian Pulisic's next birthday, why don't we talk about a story in your current issue, George, uh, about the La Familia supporters group who are. Um, 
fans, for lack of a better word, of Vetar <laughs> Jerusalem. Virulent, which, yeah. vociferous supporters of Vetar Jerusalem. Which is the only Israeli team yet to um, field is an Arab player. Correct? Yeah, like calling them fans is like calling like a cancer cell like a piece of tissue, I guess, right? <laughs> we... Um, uh, have, you, have you guys heard of La Familia before this story? I'm just curious. It's I, okay to say no. I had not. Um, I had heard of like the 75 other like La Familia named yeah. <laughs> uh, dangerous groups throughout yeah. the world, but not this one. So so um, there are a couple ways into this story, but I guess I'll tell you uh, just broadly, they are a, like you said, a fan group of a team called Beitar Jerusalem. Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's called Baitar or Beitar. All, all the work I've done in this story, I'm not sure. The, uh, Beitar is the only club in Israel, the only major club that has never fielded an Arab player. And that is largely because Beitar, uh, well, it's it, La Familia has sort of decided to take the club hostage and sort of wage war on its own club. They have, um, they chant very racist things that get uh, the club, f- you know, fined. They, uh, <laughs> They have set fire to their own club's training facility. They they have done basically everything they can to let the upper management of the club know that if they sign an Arab player, uh, they will, I guess, do even worse things. It's hard to think of anything worse they could do. Um, you know, and in the past, Beitar has flirted with signing Muslim players, so not Arab, but, you know, they had these two Chechen Muslims. They had a, uh, a Muslim from, I think, Nigeria, um, who... Mm-hmm. None of them lasted long, and uh, it's just been really ugly. Um, and finally, it seemed like the club and Israeli, the Israeli FA weren't going to do anything about this or you know, not, do, not do much. Um, but then the Israeli police stepped in in July of last year, 2016, and basically did a huge raid, 400 police officers. They picked up uh, 64 La Familia members over the course of two nights, and basically they indicted a good number of them on drugs and weapons and assault charges and... Uh, it's just a fascinating, for me, it's a fascinating case of uh, soccer meeting, like crime fiction, except it's not, it's not fiction. And those are two of my favorite things. So <laughs> that's why we did the story. Yeah. I mean, like the crazy thing is that uh, the, the f- I, I want to say it was the, f- the second owner that, that comes up in the story, uh, Gaidemon. I'm not even, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah. I think Gaidemak. I, I, I created, a, there's so many names in this story that I just created a cheat, a, a cheat list. Um, I think you're thinking of Arkady Gaidemak. He's the, the, the Chechen guy. Is that right? Yeah. The guy that uh, made a fortune off of like, or was convicted of selling seven hundred ninety million in arms to, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't even remember who, but I mean, like the <laughs> entire thing is absolute madness. But to go back to the uh, La Familia's pressure tactics to basically bar the team from signing any Arab players. The way that the story sets it up is such that La Familia is really enmeshed in the conservative right wing uh, Likud party uh, yeah. in in Israel. Yeah. Uh, um, could you exp- like could you just walk our listeners through that for a second? Sure. Yeah. This is something I wasn't super familiar with because you know I'm the editor of Howler. I didn't write the story. It was actually written by a guy named Sam Patterson who. Uh, has spent some time in Israel. He was actually Howler's first intern. He was a sophomore at Georgetown five years ago and oh, got wow. in touch with me wow. and became our first intern. And it was like such a pleasure for me to be able to assign a 6,500 word feature to a guy who I've seen sort of blossom um, in a bunch of ways. Uh, and he sort of schooled me on all of this stuff. So you brought up Guy Demac. He, um, you know, then. <laughs> And this is a long way into that answer, but he, the new, he's the old owner. Uh, he sold it to a guy named Eli Tabib, who um, just like one moment from his hit list, he uh, forged a passport to escape divorce proceedings um, in Israel uh, and spent a bunch of years in Miami as the head of like a beachwear conglomerate. So um, it's, they have, like, they've got these very, Discount yeah, they've got these, <laughs> <laughs> we, we assume. Uh, and, but what's interesting is that these guys, there's a pattern here, right? These are rich, shady dudes who um, their affiliation with Beitar is designed to curry favor with the conservative Likud party in Israel. Um, uh, uh, famous, um, you know, they've got some famous politician fans. The team does um, the current prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu is a, is a fan of Beitar. Um, uh, Ehud Olmert, uh, Ariel Sharon. Um, they, they've all been fans of, of Beitar. I don't know if they are currently, but they, they have been. And, uh, to really understand this, I, I won't go into super deep detail, but um, you have to sort of trace it back to 
you know, the early 1900s when uh, Beitar was a a club founded in Eastern Europe for Ashkenazi Jews who um, basically uh, subscribed to an idea that Israel would have to, or, you know, a, a Jewish state would have to uh, take up arms in order to uh, defend itself and, and create a, um, I guess to use a, a 2017 word, a safe space for themselves. Um, and so there's a long history of politics and, and Beitar. And what, what I sort of came to understand about this story as I was reading it is that there, there is a, a pretty serious class divide in Israel between those Ashkenazi Jews uh, who are largely from, you know, that means they basically came from Eastern Europe and what are called Mizrahi Jews who are, um, you know, who came from other Arab countries. So, you know, um, they're refugees from other Arab countries. And, and so there, and those, those, that group is, I guess, considered less educated, less, less well-off. And there was a shift in Beitar's um, membership where, you know, La Familia really speaks to these, you know, these Mizrahim um, and gives voice to their sort of like feelings of powerlessness and, and I don't know, hopelessness in Israeli society. And, uh, you know, La Familia becomes a vehicle for them to sort of act out and uh, express those things. Yeah, it's... You know, the, the thing about this story or any any good soccer story that sort of intertwines the sport with socio-political forces is that it, this stuff just, like, it doesn't exist in the U.S. You know, it's like the, the Knicks do not have any sort of political affiliation. You know, the Jets don't. But in Israel, it's like Maccabee Haifa, right, or one of the Maccabee clubs is like a center-right affiliated club. Mm -hmm. Beitar is a far-right affiliated club, and Hapoel is, like, socialist-related. Um, and it's just... Well, like, think, think, about, think about those riots that happened in Vancouver after the, the hockey team there won the Stanley Cup, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's different, definitely, but I think that one thing that's universal about this story that sort of all soccer fans who are vaguely aware that this stuff exists in Europe or South America... And, you know, I guess even maybe hockey fan, you know, uh, can, can latch onto is this like undercurrent of like energy that runs through a group of like young men who feel energized around a certain thing. Um, to me, that's the unifying thing here that yeah. sort of is a way in for, for readers. Yeah, there's a, you know, one of the good things about being a sports fan is you can kind of just lose your shit. And, <laughs> but when it gets sort of tinged with these like, you know, very scary and violent political undertones, uh, you know, <laughs> that all sort of curdles, I think. Well, it's funny to think about this in the context of like, get the, get your politics out of sports. Exactly. Stuff yeah. that's happening now. Like yeah. it's there and it's just that ESPN or whoever, right. And the, or the people who work for these big companies are finding themselves, I don't know, in some sort of compromised position between like you know, it's saying true Calling things. things as they are <laughs> yeah. and yeah, protecting right. their own interests. Right. 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 But like anyone who's alive and like observing and watching can see this stuff, um, happening. Uh, I don't know. I mean, and you guys pay attention to what's happening in Detroit. I think that's super interesting too, where you've got like this grassroots team, Detroit city FC, and then you've got these people who are sort of trying to, um, trying to lure an MLS team there. And so you've got this kind of conflict and, they're trying to make a stadium deal for that MLS stadium that involves like relocating a prison. You know, there's just, yeah. there's, yeah. there, there's stuff here that is happening. It's just not really covered in the same way. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the fans aren't like drug running or gun running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, someone once said that, you know, soccer, the sport is never going to change sort of the core issues of, of a society, but there's basically, there's no better mirror for like thing the things that are happening than oh, man. than soccer. So, yeah. Um, the other thing, like we're wondering, is like what? So that Nigerian player you mentioned, he when he left the team, he said no Muslim or black player should play at Badar, and all yeah. the fans are <laughs> or not all the fans, but all the La Familia uh, supporters are saying the same thing. So, like, what do you? It seems like there's no reason for any Arab player to ever want to play for the team. And then the fans don't want anyone to. So like, well, that's that one of the crazy it, things you know? that I, yeah, that's one of the questions that I had for Sam. You read this and you think, wow, they so dominate, you know, any discussion and they so dominate sort of the atmosphere in the stadium. 
it's hard to pull back and remember that this is a group of, you know, estimates vary from like 500, maybe a couple hundred people to several thousand, but this is by no means the full story of like Beitar fans. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there is, um, there, there's a breakaway club, you know, sort of like, you know, Manchester, Manchester FC United of Manchester. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Where, Where they've basically decided, you know, we love our club, but we hate this, like this virus within it. And until they reform or kick them out, we're going to play in a lower league. And we, you know, we're just going to show up for the colors. Basically they, they did a, they had a game and this is in the story where they, they show up and they, they did like a throwback Jersey, but it was, it was like throwback to Beitar, like 1970s colors. So they, it's a new club that is essentially trying to, uh, you know, have some continuity with the past, which is, which is an interesting idea. Um, you know, and the other, the other thing is, uh, this is, this is a, you know, it's a real division in Israeli society. And so you get to sort of see these forces essentially warring with each other through this lens of soccer, which is for me a very helpful way to try to understand any society. I mean, that's, that's sort of why Howler exists. Um, maybe, maybe not. That's too strong of a statement, but, uh, you know, we're constantly asking ourselves like, well, what is, what does this reflection say about larger society? And and I think this is a story that really achieves that. Yeah. Also the, the, another interesting thing in the story is the semi-redemptive arc of, uh, Duda Mizrahi. Yeah. That it was like towards the end, uh, it was just one of those things where, well, uh, the writer, uh, Scott Patterson, basically writes about how he seems to think after talking to Duda that this change is going to have to happen human to human, which is slow and not exactly, you know, all that encouraging and will come at a high human cost. But, you know, is encouraging nonetheless. Doesn't, well, how, that's how, just to say that the story doesn't isn't a complete bummer. No, no. Well... I mean, how perfect is it? First of all, that his name is Duty Mizrahi, right? Yeah. It's like Joe England or <laughs> yeah. something. You know? Yeah, um, and yeah, and and he, you know, this guy was on the front lines of a lot of these crazy things that La Familia did, including, you know, we didn't even talk about this, but leading this really terrible protest outside the home of Itzik Kornfein, who was like a club legend, you know, as a goalkeeper, a captain, played 400 matches, and then became general manager. And they basically st- set up camp outside of this guy's house. There's YouTube footage of this in the online version of the story, which we're publishing today. And, you know, they're basically yelling all these terrible threats to him and his wife and his daughters for hours outside this guy's house. Um, and Duty Mizrahi is part of that. And then he basically is, you know, publicly shamed. He is... Uh, you know, he loses a, a court battle where he has to pay Cornfine, um, uh, the club legend, a bunch of money that he doesn't have. And he's he's essentially sent to this um, this like I think they pick dates or olives in this uh, in this town. And it's the first time he's ever met a Palestinian, um, which just seems so insane to me. You know, I've never been to Israel, but, you know, it's a small country. Crazy to me that you can grow up in a country and never meet somebody like that who you know makes up a significant portion of the population. It's like you know living in Southern California, and never meeting a Mexican person, um, which is just insane. Yeah. But he has this totally total change of heart, and and yeah, that that is like a hopeful note. Um, it's not a hopeful story, but uh, on a personal level, man, I just found his arc to be you know when we talk about like crime fiction or you know fictional right you know fiction writing that's the kind of thing you look for. And it was just perfect that it, that it happened in this, in this piece too. Yeah. Yeah. There are just, I don't know. I feel like there were like 15 to 20 different moments where I had to stop reading and just be like, this is insane. Um, so you all should check this out. It's called chaos, chaos on the right wing. Um, great, great pun, great headline. Um, great job by you, George. Um, and it's in the latest issue, correct? Yes, thanks. And and I have to shamelessly tell your listeners that I have created a promo code just for them. It's the best discount we've ever done. It's 20% off. It means like get Howler for $11 an issue, I think. Um, and it's Ringer FC. So that should be easy to remember. Uh, you go to shop.howlermagazine.com and enter the code Ringer FC for a subscription. And uh, I apologize for entering my own, my own commercial into this <laughs> podcast. It's all good. Um, <laughs> we're glad you came on and... Uh, we will see you in a year with those candles and some Sade um, <laughs> to celebrate the U.S.'s 
2018 World Cup victory. I'm going to make my, 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 waxing, my waxing appointment right now. So I'm going <laughs> to get on it. Nice and ready for you guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks, George. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take it easy, man. Thanks to George Qureshi for joining us. Thanks to Donnie Kwok. And thanks to you, Micah. Thank you, Ryan. Um, this was a pleasure. We will be back next week, next Tuesday, to talk to you some more. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels, even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear, while knowing you'll get a great price and a great place to stay. So, download the Hotel Tonight app and find some seriously amazing deals right now.